I I'll make up a topic. We're going to talk about puppies. Welcome, everybody, to episode 14 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. Getting close to the holidays here. It's, it's it's nice and cold outside. This is what happens when I try to do an intro off the top of my head. Why don't we just directly introduce everybody who is on the show right now. So, we have the newsman. Hey, I'm Zach, super flat on the boards. And then we have the man with many titles. I'm in Las Vegas right now. It's not cold. It's like 65 outside. Oh, God, I hate you. Oh, man. You gonna tell people your name, or are you just gonna go? Nuts? I'm John McCarroll. I am. Let's go with Las Ve- no, no, Las Vegas correspondent. <laughs> okay, there we go, there we go. And back by popular demand. I don't think anybody really demanded it, um, but I'm Brian Grosnick. I'm main star on the boards, and it's really cold in Connecticut, so I hate oh. John. Oh God. Yeah, I'm having a hard time being back in the uh, the northern states, as it were. It's, it's very cold. So we got games, as usual, to talk about. Uh, Brian's brought a list of games. We have a lot of 999 to talk about. It seems that John's recommendation sent Zach and I, you know, going out, uh, Zach and me going out to, to pick it up. Uh, and then we got a little discussion on what we look for in handheld games, and then a short news segment about all the stuff that's coming out in Japan that you will probably never play. So, Brian, go for it. Uh, I guess the the biggest game that I've been playing recently is an iOS game. Uh, No surprise to anyone who's seen any of the stuff I've reviewed recently. Uh, But it was an iOS game called The War of Eustrath, which originally was for the iPad and then got ported over to the iPhone. And I believe it was originally a computer strategy RPG called uh, The War for Eustrath with like eight S's. Anyway, uh, it's a really good game. Uh, It's a kind of simple strategy RPG. Uh, The system for battle is really elegant. Um, It's not just the rock, paper, scissors type. You have a couple of different abilities. I guess, well, I guess when you start about talking about it, it's a giant robot strategy RPG. So you have giant robots, and they have elemental affinities, and there's a war, and you fight other giant robots. The plot isn't really what's driving this game. It's some good strategy RPG kind of gameplay. Um, And like I was saying, the battle system is pretty cool. It's uh, you've got certain abilities that you can use and the abilities balance each other out. Like you can uh, use the evade ability to get away from attacks. You can use name ability to negate people's evade abilities. And then you have like strengthening, defending, and then plenty of different types of attacks and, uh, counter ability, which negates abilities. And it's just a, a really fun little iPhone strategy RPG, which is cool because the iPhone doesn't have a lot of strategy RPGs. This, really, is, this is reminding me, not to cut you off, but this is reminding me of Xenogears. Is there at any point a small pink furry object crucified? No. Uh, Damn. Unfortunately. Ah. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of like Xenogears, yeah. You said it's a strategy RPG? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a grid based strategy RPG. Does it, uh, have you played any of the front mission games? Does it uh, those at all? I have not played any of the front mission games. What? Jerk. Um, I've played so many strategy RPGs, and I've never played a front mission game. Well, the only uh, the only one I played was Front Mission Three, but I remember loving that game just to death. I played it through like four times. Yeah, it's picking up. It's coming out. I think I will get that. <laughs> Definitely. But um, but yeah, this is uh, kind of it's more of like Xenogears kind of in graphical style. There's a lot of like really colorful designs for the giant robots, which are called gears. So it's not like they actually tried really hard to differentiate. Um, but the plot's completely different. It's just like a, a regular military fight, not anything world-shattering, world-breaking, like the Xenogears plot or anything. Uh, but it's a fun game. There's a lot of different customization of your party. You get a lot of different characters based on your actions in the game. You actually you know, make decisions that you know, allow you to recruit certain characters or not recruit certain characters. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the difficulty level is pretty easy at the beginning, but it gets harder as it goes on. Um, on my first playthrough of the game, there were about 37, 38 battles, and battles aren't terribly long, so it makes for a good iPhone game. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It was It's one of the better iPhone RPGs that I've played before, and it's easily one of the best strategy RPGs because there's basically only, like, three of them, I think. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it, it seems like the iPhone platform, or the the i, what is it, iOS, I, ISO, whatever. iOS. iOS, you know, they they just seem to be turning games out left and right, and if I was Nintendo, I'd already be a little nervous about that when, when you're going to release the 3DS at some point. Now, I, here's the thing, I respect the, the Apple platform for what it is. Um, I don't think it's, at, at in its current form, ever going to be a legitimate gaming platform. Um, I think that is great for casual games, and I think that um, kind of kids who get an I let let me start over. I think that it's great for the casual gamer. I think that while there are games there for the hardcore gamer, it's not going to become a hardcore gaming you know platform. I mean, I think I think one of the big problems with that is that it doesn't have the the infrastructure support. Uh, that, you know, like something like the Xbox Live or, or PSN or even just, you know, like having games on your PC has. Like, I've had to, to reformat my iPhone a couple of times because I was either playing around with, um, you know, like developer firmware and stuff. And, like, I've lost game saves, on you know, completely. Uh, and so, like, if I was going through Chaos Rings, for example, which is, you know, a, a fairly large game, uh, I've, I've sunk probably a good, like, eight to ten hours in that right now if i if i lost all that progress i don't know if i would feel super great about that and like apple is kind of trying to work on that with the game center stuff and and kind of getting that sort of leaderboard friends based structure that like they have with xbox live and psn but at the same time there's it's it's almost going to need like a, a revamping of sorts to to figure out what they do in regards to DRM and game saves and, and DLC and how all of that is managed properly. Well, I was just going to say, I think there's something uh, that to be said for that. Um, but one of the cool things about the iOS platform is like what I've experienced recently with Ash, which I talked about a couple of podcasts ago, where um, there are minor bugs in the game and the developers turned around and patched those bugs in no time at all, which is really, really good 
Um, and like even just not bugs, but people wanted a D-pad in that game. So they took two weeks and they put a D-pad in the game. And that being able to turn things over, I mean, yeah, you can get that sometimes on PC games, but for a handheld, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a market that is definitely starting to grow, and you know, give it some time, and it may turn into something fantastic. I mean, there's always been the rumors about Mac or uh, Apple rather going into the uh, the console market, but I I don't see why if they're making a good amount of money. Uh, they they've already tried to be in the console market, which the was Pippin, the what? The Apple Pippin. Wow, you are showing your age there, my friend. You are showing your age. No, it's it, honestly the console is not that old. It came out in '95. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, I've never even heard about. it. I'm gonna have to wiki that later. Okay. Well, but I, I just think that the iOS operating, you know, it 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 could be a place of very interesting games, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that later on in the show about handheld games and what we're looking for them. Uh, looking in uh, the yeah. yeah. Okay. Moving on. Uh, Brian, any other games to talk about? Um, well, uh, actually, kind of on that same note, um, another game that I was playing recently that was also really good is uh, it's called The Scarlet Adventures Episode 1, Scarlet and the Spark of Life, and it's a graphic adventure game. And that is a format that lends itself really well to the iPhone and iPad, I think. Um, this game is made by an independent developer called Launchingpad Games. It's their first offering. Um it's very, very much influenced by the LucasArts, Telltale style of graphic adventure games. Uh, point and click, use items in your inventory. Um, jokes, uh, lots of jokes, especially bee jokes. It's a really heavy uh, bee jokes, like about bees. Uh, there's some really <laughs> pretty good bee jokes in it, but uh, I'll leave the uh, players to find them. Um, but it's uh, as far as the plot goes, you're, uh, you pick up the game in media res uh, with uh, Scarlet, who's a princess who carries a crowbar, and she's being kidnapped. And then you have to free her from her kidnappers and then solve some puzzles so that she can go and do other stuff. Uh, it's a short game. It's a fun game. Um, for a small developer, it is pretty polished. Um, doesn't have a whole lot of content. Uh, the puzzles are a little... Uh, easy, but other than that, it's a really nice first offering for launching pad games, and uh, it definitely can go somewhere. It's the first episode of, I believe, it's four planned episodes of the adventure, so it was uh, it was a really good experience. And I really like graphic adventures on the uh, iPhone. I played on an iPhone, but it being point and click, uh, being able to use a touch screen is pretty awesome. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I think that's definitely an area that I've never played before. That's a type of game that I never played before. Uh, and it's something that I want to become more versed in. I definitely want to start playing those kind of games. Could I say definitely more? I def I, <laughs> I want to start playing different types of games, and I, I think that the uh, the graphic novel or uh, digital novel is something that I want to get into more. Well, I mean, this is a great starter game because, again, the puzzles are not tough. Um, the uh, it's very straightforward, easy to easy to look at. The graphical style is really clean. Uh, it's a little kind of Ren and Stimpy in the graphics at times. They have these really ugly horses called Pocalos, and they kind of look like they were pulled out of like old Nickelodeon commercials. No, sir, I don't like it. Exactly. There you go. There you go. 
Um, but uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good game. It's a good fit for the system. It's not very expensive. Uh, I believe it was uh, three bucks, something like that, which is great. That's one of the things, again, about the iOS platform that's awesome is you can get games like Shining Force for a dollar, and you can get these fun you know, little games from, from new developers for like under five bucks, which is great. Cool. 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 Anything else? You got this long list of games. You're going to, you're going to keep inundating us with it. Just quick hits. I'm doing shining force right now, which is a direct port of the 1993 Sega Genesis, uh, air quotation marks, classic, uh, so far it's a dollar. Uh, and I still regret buying it for the iOS, uh, as the uh, the D-pad that they put on the game is awful. I can't make my character go anywhere I want him to go. Mm. So uh, initial reaction is stay away from that. Um, and I just start playing uh, ZHP for PSP, uh, which is a fun roguelike. Um, I think everybody should play it, especially if you like the NIS America games or if you like dying over and over again in a game. Sweet. Demon Soul says hi. <laughs> Not not even like in a Demon Souls, this game's really tough way, but you actually get benefits from dying in the game, which is kind of weird and not at all like most roguelikes I've played before. But it's a fun game. It's definitely a. It's one of those games I feel like I can pick up and play and then put back down and then, you know, uh, mess around with something else for a while. So that's cool. Cool, 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 cool. All right, so uh, are we ready to discuss nine 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 our our adventures with? Uh, okay, let me see if I can get it straight. Nine. Crap, what's, what's the first word? Hours? Nine, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors? I think so. Yeah, I, I always thought it was nine hours, nine people, nine rooms. I don't know why, but maybe that just made more sense to me. So, have we all finished it? I, I know Brian, it doesn't seem like Brian's played it, but have, has every one of us gotten an ending? I have been told that I am apparently right on the heels of the worst possible ending. Yeah, you're about ready to get the ending that I got. You're like, <laughs> you're like right there, which is, uh, and again, we're not going to spoil the game for anybody. Um, we're not going to, just, the ending is very, very depressing. <laughs> well, there, there, oh, well, there's I think, six different endings. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and so I think, well, just quickly, I feel like we should probably uh, go over what the game is for the people who didn't listen last week or okay. who don't know what it is. Uh, uh, so what the game is, and John described it very well last week. We talked about it briefly. Uh, it's a digital novel with puzzle-solving elements, kind of point-and-click style adventures. Uh, you're playing a character named Junpei who wakes up on a ship uh, in a room that's quickly filling with water. You have to solve a puzzle to get out, which, on a side note, that first puzzle really ticked me off because the game... I don't feel like the game was doing a good job of explaining to you the kind of thought process that you had to go through to solve the puzzles. Like uh, afterward, I felt like an idiot, but it was like that first puzzle is is the game's teaching you the game's language and logic. So the first puzzle is kind of a little obnoxious if you've never t- played these kind of point and click style games before. Well, I I actually think it did that very well, and I think that it did it almost. You know, imagine that you're this guy, you wake up and you're disoriented and you have no idea what's going on. And yeah, it's teaching you. One thing I did find annoying is just how many times it would do instruction prompts. Oh, God. <laughs> that that was driving me nuts. But, that, but what really ticked me off was I thought I had the puzzle worked out and I didn't because I was missing one more item in the room. And I had checked everywhere except one specific spot. 
Now, after that, I, I took the knowledge of that puzzle, and I said, okay, now I can apply that to every puzzle in the game. And afterward, I didn't have any problem, because that, that initial puzzle does send you into the, you're going to click on every item in the room, because something might be important. So uh, after you get out of the room, you meet uh, eight other survivors on this ship. You find out that you're in this kind of Saw-esque um, trap, trapped uh, ship, and you have to get out of it. Um, only so many people can go into each numbered door. There's a lot of uh, puzzle-solving ones here and there. Lots and lots of narrative. If you're not somebody who likes to read, you should avoid this game at all cost. But... Uh, I just was – this is my first ever digital novel, and so I was just immediately absorbed into this game. Uh, the writing, the story, the puzzles, everything just ripped me uh, or just made me dive into this world. And I played it the whole way through in one night and a little bit the next morning, and I got my first ending, which, again, very, very depressing. So I think I think the, the most apparent thing and something that is perhaps uh... – undercounted these days in in video games and especially in rpgs is the quality of the writing yes uh, and i don't mean like the you know that it's just like a good story or that it's it has a good plot twist every now and then but like the the actual writing and a lot of it has to do with the way that it's presented john mentioned last time that on the top screen you have what characters are actually saying on the bottom screen, you have a, a narrator of sorts, mm -hmm. and so it reads a lot like a real novel. And it, you know, like kind of it plays a, you know, it's it's almost as if there are stage directions. You know, like Junpei, you know, like walked across the screen, his head in his hand, um, and I, I think that that really helps, you know, to to draw the reader in. And it's it's capably written prose. Yes, um, yes. It, you know, it's it's certainly not Shakespeare, but it it does a lot better than most other. RPGs these days especially, but most other games in general. Yeah, I mean, it, it has a frickin' Dark Knight joke in it. I mean, now, now obviously that was put in there through translation. Uh, you know, I, I doubt it was in the original Japanese, but there is a Dark Knight jo joke in there. And uh, Zach's 100% right. The, the, the way the prose, uh, the prose combined with the story, it really is a paranoia story, and little things are brought up here and there, and characters will make suggestions, and the game doesn't beat you over the head. It does – the way it's written, though, will make you paranoid of almost every character at one point or another, which I found really, really cool because I love a good mystery. And what ends up happening a lot of times with mysteries is that I'm so absorbed in trying to solve the mystery that I can't enjoy it for what it is. Uh, Shutter Island is a very good example. It's a movie where – you know. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I figured it out within about 15 minutes of the movie beginning. Now, it's pretty obvious what's going to happen, but 999 really doesn't do that. It kind of throws some things out there that you're not sure if they're important or not, and characters will say things that make you paranoid, and the narrator will say some things that make you paranoid, but never enough to push you in one direct direction. When, when my game ended, I was shocked. I was honestly shocked, and I'm not going to give anything away. But I don't know how you felt, Zach. Did you get the worst ending? Well, yeah. So I got I've gotten two endings. Um, basically, out of the the six endings, there's one true ending, um, and then there are five, uh, I guess, not true endings. But um, basically, uh, what Rob and I both got, and what John is on course to get, is the sixth ending, which is 
um, one of the the worst endings, probably the worst ending. I don't see how you could get much worse. I yeah, mean, it's, it's maybe, really it's really depressing. We're not gonna we're not gonna say anything. <laughs> maybe maybe about if they it, like but, shot um, a puppy at the end of it, that would make it worse. Mm-hmm. But I really but, don't but see. the one thing is, having played through the game a full second time, and I actually got really close to finishing it a third time, but I forgot to plug in my DS, and so it erased my um, my progress. Um, is that you you really there are only so many big decisions in the game but like you really begin to see where one ending like if you if you talk to a character and like mention something or or give a character a certain item um if you like if you go into one room you may be able to do that and you know like that will completely change the way your interactions in another room will end so like the third ending for instance um, is the, you just have to, you basically what happens is if you go through a different door halfway through the game, than you like, then you would to go on the true ending or second ending path, you don't get to talk to a certain character and that interaction that you would have with that certain character. And I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything because like, you know, it would become very obvious. Um, if you don't have that interaction, that character thinks a lot less of you, which, changes the way like completely changes the way you know it you interact with that character at the you know like on the next ending and um yeah so i mean i just thought like and i and it was kind of interesting because like i i kind of was able to piece these things together you know like having gone through the game a second time like oh maybe if i had chosen that other door and was able to do that interaction this wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. um and so it's it's very logical like that i really like it now, now so well, you- you guys keep talking about multiple playthroughs. About how long is it to get oh, through? I think I'm, I must have finished it in under three hours, maybe. Yeah. No, the game itself is pretty short. Um, but the fact of the matter is, because your choices are different every given time, you're only playing about through, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes of identical content. Mm-hmm. And, and the nice thing is that once you've beaten the game... Um, they they give you the option to fast thro- fast forward through any text that you've gotten. Yeah, that's um, already a so. Like when, when you're you just hold down the the right button uh, or the the right direction on the D pad, and basically, like the beginning of the game until you get to your first choice of doors is the same every time. So basically, you have like like a, a half a minute of of text and like intro stuff, and then you solve your first puzzle, which by now. Like I've I've gotten it down to a science. Um, <laughs> I wish you and, could skip the puzzles that you've already mm, solved. That that annoys me a little bit. True. Um. But yeah. But basically, so I mean, the the one almost quip I'd have about have you know like having a fast forward feature as opposed to a straight up skip feature is that I have played through the beginning of that game like three or four different times. Um. And most like now that I've gotten that puzzle down to a you know like an exact science. It's basically I'm just holding down the right button on the D-pad for like two or three minutes until I get to choose the first door. But I mean, even even then, like I haven't explored. Um, I'd, I'd say if if my if I didn't run out of battery, I would have been about like halfway through getting like all of the content in the game. But I mean, even so, I'm I'm really looking forward to going through it again. It had me hooked all of uh, my Thanksgiving break. That's that's so- pretty much all I played. So I want to go on to an aside. Um, am I the only person who really missed the feature in Chrono Cross where you oh. could hold 
the trigger and the game was faster after you beat it. Or you could slow it down if you wanted to watch something really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, I don't I know why. That. I don't know why no other game has done that. I just on a side there. I love Chrono Cross. I really, yes. really do. I love that game. I know a lot of people take a giant dump on it all the time. I love that game. I do. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I I do like that skip feature because that lets you get to certain places quicker. And as Zach was saying, the really, really important thing about the skip feature in 999 is it, you can't skip text that you've never read before. So you don't run this risk of, oh, I'm going to fast forward and, oh, crap, I just missed a giant story revelation that I got on this playthrough. So the game is making sure that you're not missing anything. Uh, one, one question that I have for Zach because he's played it more than I have. Certain uh, dialogue and certain um, – I guess it's certain dialogue that I have with, with characters. It doesn't really seem to be here or there. It, it just kind of seems like a bunch of people are just BSing. Does everything have a purpose? Like at one point there's a conversation about a um, – I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, honestly. But there's a conversation about like an isotope uh, that crystallizes – and okay, like, so yeah, so it depend depending on what doors you go through, you learn more about that, and it has something to do okay, like so, that, that. A lot of the stuff, like I'm not, I don't want to get too far into it, okay, but a okay. lot of the stuff in the game that at first seems like BS, once you've gotten further into the game and learned more about that, um, and one thing that I want to get to in a second is is how the the non true endings still are important. Um, everything has to do a little bit with that. Um, and so what I was going to say is that um, on that sixth ending, the one that um, Rob and I had and the one that John is going to have, um, you learn information about the the characters that you are with at the time right. that you won't learn, or perhaps you may in the true ending, but that you typically wouldn't learn in a standard playthrough. Um, but, is that, but is that information important to solving anything in the true ending? Um, or is well, it just about the, like filling in the puzzle pieces and understanding the story? I mean, on the one hand, it it works really well to round out those two characters because the on, on the sixth ending, you're with two characters that I personally wasn't a huge fan of, but when I heard their stories and like learned a little bit more about them by going through you know like those specific um, puzzle rooms and and you know going with them, I I you know was much more attached to their characters and. But one thing that it does contribute to, and I'm not sure how much this is for all of the endings, but um, basically when you beat the game, they allow you to start with, quote, like memories of the past, mm -hmm. um, which is basically any information that you've gotten from the last game, you kind of know. And so I'm not going to spoil how to get the true ending. I've read how to get it. I don't know what it is, yeah, but I, there's, I, there's a certain ending that you have to get before you do the true and like before you do a other ending so you have to beat the game twice essentially to get the full true ending and, well, and apparently see, I, I screwed I, I don't want to cut myself i don't want to cut you off zach but i screwed myself because i i have to get what is it ending four to get the true ending and i've cut myself off from ending four with my first decision in the game without even realizing it and that yeah really but i mean that me off but at the same time, when you know, like, if you're playing through the game multiple times, yeah, and, like it is that first decision that you get. You know, like, you get to, you know, like, I, I haven't gone through door five at the beginning yet. The, you know, like, the first two options you have in the game are, are door four and door five. I've never gone through door five yet. I've gotten um, two different endings so far, and I certainly uh, could have gotten a third. You know, like, 
again, had my battery not died. Um, I think that there are four endings that you can get by going through uh, door four and then two that you can get by going through door – or maybe even yeah, – I don't know what the – there's there's a lot of different options. And like getting to go through whatever puzzle rooms are in door five that aren't in door four I think is really interesting. Yeah, um, I, I would I would make a suggestion to the listeners though if you do pick this game up, don't read anything. Just go in and enjoy it, and then you can look up on in FAQs, you know, how to get the certain endings and if you want to get the most out of it. But really, it is a better experience if you're just thrown directly into it because then you your decisions you're making as if you were a character in this really effed up situation. You know, like and I mean, those the, are the decisions you're going to make. And then the the cool thing is that like unlike a game like Heavy Rain where there are multiple endings, um, this one has like a a true canon ending that you can get and that you can you can see all of the different parts of this game coming together like a bunch of different story elements, um, like you can see everything working together from different angles to work towards this true ending. And so like the the endings that you get that aren't you know like that one ending are interesting but at the same time they they leave you wanting more and like leave you like oh yeah i you know like i totally want to play through this game again to find out what actually happens to these characters and what you know like what is the deal with that fancy isotope science thing and yeah. you know, all of that business so you know like i i heartily recommend recommend picking this this one up yeah i i definitely do too i, I talked last week uh two weeks ago how I was really like RPG fatigue. You know, I just played way too many RPGs and I needed something new. And so what I ended up doing was uh, I started playing Red Dead again. Uh, You know, I I had all that business with my PlayStation 3. I lost all my game saves, so I started playing Red Dead again, and that was a lot of fun. And then I picked this up, and it was just so different. It was so outside of my comfort zone as a gamer, and I just burned straight through it in almost one night. And I really did enjoy it. And, you know, I've made little gripes here and there. You know, I, I really wish that you didn't have to do the puzzles that you already solved. Like if there was just a solve again feature, I really wish that was in the game. But, you know, what, what are you going to do? At but, the same time, for one, just one thing for that. There are, there's dialogue in, in certain puzzles that you can get that affect endings in the game. Sure. So, sure. That's so like, true. That's true. Uh, but overall, definitely recommend it um, if, if you're looking for something that is – Story-driven, narrative-driven. Again, it is very different from a lot of other games. This isn't something that we get very often in America. It's a digital novel with very little input from the player, except when it comes to puzzle solving. But you can – I mean, there is a dump of information at the beginning of this game, like literally 40 minutes of not doing anything and just reading. It's it's worth it. I mean – Sure. Oh, it's totally worth it, yeah. Like the characters are really well well written and well defined and like that's the what I was saying before about you know, like not liking certain characters. I didn't like a lot of the characters at the beginning of the game, but as as you kind of progress and, and get to know them through the various stories that you know, like you eventually elicit from them and, and all of that sort of stuff, um you you know, you get a really the like a much more well rounded picture of these characters and I think that says a lot to what they were trying to achieve and what they were actually able to achieve with, you know, like with this specific genre. Yep. Yep. I'm definitely liking it. Are, are there any other digital novels that have been released in America that are worth playing? Um, well, there's I, that one Lux Pain, but people don't really like that. Okay. The translation I, was poor, but John, I know you're a fan. 
Yeah, I really like Lux Payne. There are lots of things to like about Lux Payne. You just have to get past the fact that, yes, this game has a horrible translation. And it's it's not that I, I actually don't think it's the translation that's horrible. I think it's the editing in the game. Um, I think it was really one of Ignition's first. We're going to take a, a, a buttload of text and translate it. Um, you know, they've done Arkrise since then. They've done a couple of other RPGs. But it was kind of their first attempt at a, a big translation. And it didn't turn out too well in, in that sense. But there is a whole lot to like about that game. And it's kind of weird science fiction-y. And that's what I like. What uh, system is that for? Uh, that's that's for also on the DS, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Gotta love the DS. And then there's also a, a Neil, our editor, Neil Chandran's favorite, one of his favorite games, Ever 17, uh, is for the PC. It's really hard to find a copy of that, but it's interestingly enough, the same author, the writer for Ever 17 is the same person as the writer for 999. So I guess you're getting kind of a similar sort of feeling there. Cool. Cool. So now if we're done talking about 999, what we what we have in terms of a, um, a topic is uh, something that I've noticed with the DS. You know, I picked one up over the summer, and what I've noticed is I enjoy playing very different kinds of games on the DS. I don't like to play – I don't like the idea of playing something big and massive that I would just rather play on my TV with a controller and hands backed away. I find that I want to play very different kinds of experiences. So the games that I've really enjoyed on my DS are things like 999 or even Grand Theft Auto Chinatown Wars was something that was very uh, very skewed for the DS. There was lots and lots of things that could only work on the DS, and I enjoyed that sort of thing. But then a game like Dragon Quest Nine, and I, I was a huge Dragon Quest Eight fan. I just found Dragon Quest Nine to be like, okay, I, I know that there's features here, you know, connectivity features that work very well in Japan when everybody's commuting, but for me, having a job that I don't commute to, I work at a freaking boarding school, so I live on campus and I go to work. I, I literally have a two-minute walk to my building. I don't have any commute time. So when I come back home, it's kind of like, why would I sit down on my couch and play a game on my tiny little DS when I have my 50-inch brand-new plasma TV that I could play you know, God of War 3 on, which I was doing before the podcast. And holy crap! Like, it just... I look for very different kinds of experiences when I'm playing on my DS, and I want to play something that's very different. I, I just wanted to ask you guys, you know, do you feel the same way when it comes to handheld gaming? Or and I, I think this is the problem that Sony got into, where Sony said, okay, the PlayStation Portable is a mini PlayStation 2, and we're going to release God of War and Ratchet and & Clank and Jack and & Daxter, and no, we're going to release all these games. But here's the thing about those is that despite the fact that those are franchises that originated on home consoles, all of the handheld versions are very well tailored to bite-sized gameplay. Like sure. if you if you play the two Gods of War for PSP, um, God of War's Gods God, of War. I like I Gods of War. I, I like that. Uh, um, you'll you'll realize that you know what these are similar enough to the home consoles versions that they'll appeal to mass market but they really are tailored for the the actual handheld you know there's there's only like three levels in the first uh, in chains of olympus but they're all well done they're all incredibly epic for the psp and you know they're they're games that work well for the handhelds i mean they 
there there are games that wouldn't work on a handheld. Like if you were to take the uh, some of the modes from Gran Turismo, I'm on a Gran Turismo kick right now. Gran Turismo Five and port them to the PSP version, it wouldn't work. I was really disappointed when the PSP version of Gran Turismo didn't have, like, a career mode. Yeah. But I couldn't imagine doing an endurance race on my PSP. But here's the thing. Uh, Okay, it's cool that God of War is designed, you know, Chains of Olympus is designed to be on a handheld. It's cool that it's developed into bite-sized chunks. But why would I play that over God of War 3 or God of War 2? You know, well, like it's, it, it's not necessarily playing it over. You know, it's okay. So you've played God of War one, two, and three, and you've got a PSP. Why, you know, why not play it? It's a God of War that you can play on the turlet. Uh, okay, that's cool. But it, again, it, I think that the handheld market is not for somebody like me. I feel like the handhelds are developed for people who commute every who day like to work. video games? No, they're developed for people <laughs> who commute. I think that they're, they're developed to be, or at least they should be developed. I've played a couple you know, that I can't think off the top of my head that really weren't tailor-made for handhelds, you know, not having quick save options and whatnot. But, you know, that's what the experience is for. But I I don't commute every day. I, I can come home and I have my computer and I have my – and I'm not bagging on handheld games. What I'm saying is that the prospect of playing A Legend of Zelda on DS or playing A God of War on PSP, it doesn't appeal to me because I'm sitting there going I would rather sit back on my couch with a controller in hand and get the full experience rather than you know laying on my couch holding a handheld. Well, here's something to keep in mind. I think that's important is that um, not everybody has your 50 inch plasma. Sure, 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 sure. That's why I'm saying that I that's why I don't look for those experiences. I'm not saying that it's wrong for people to have those experiences and to want that. I think all I'm really I'm not I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come across that way. But what I guess what I'm trying to say is that for budget gamers, I think the handhelds are not just good, but they're like necessary. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's a whole different um, financial setup to trying to get started with a 360 or a PS3 rather than buying, you know, a PSP bundle or a DS bundle and like two games for that. I mean, there's still a hundred, two hundred dollar difference in that, and that's without even the television involved. And let alone if you get something like an iPhone, which is, you know, you can get for two hundred and fifty dollars, you get the iPhone and you get like twenty five games. Yeah, no, that that's definitely a good point, and I I can see that if you're if you're looking for budget gaming, that's a great thing. But I do think that this is just a personal taste thing, and I I'm not saying that you know oh God of War or okay maybe I'm saying that a game like Assassin's Creed shouldn't have been brought out on a handheld, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not saying that those games shouldn't exist on the handhelds. What I'm saying is that those aren't the experiences that I'm looking for on the handhelds. But I want to play think- something different. I think that the best part is that because handheld games are so less expensive to develop than home console games, that there's a medium there. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, excuse me. Um, you have the, those experiences. Say somebody wants to play God of War, Ratchet and Clank, Gran Turismo, whatever, on their PSP. They have that choice. But also on the PSP, you have stuff like Luminous. Mm-hmm. And these games that are tailor-built for these platforms that you well you see luminous on the home consoles now because it was so good on the PSP but you know and then you you look at stuff like 999 Phoenix Wright on the DS um, these games that were tailor made for these platforms 
and they work well, and the developers could go out on a limb and say, okay, I'm going to do this strange game that we couldn't do on a home console because we don't have $4 million to put into development. Sure, sure. And I, I think that I wouldn't even want to play a game like 999 or Ace Attorney on my TV. You know what I mean? I, there would be no need because these aren't you know giant high-definition, high-production-value games. Now, that's also because of the necessity of building it on the platform. But playing it on a handheld is perfectly fine. It's perfectly suited. I also find the handheld to be, if this makes sense, a little bit more intimate in terms of my connection between what's going on. At least it can be. I can sometimes feel disconnected from the action that's going on on screen by being, you know, 12 feet away from my uh, TV. It's just that I noticed that the games that I was picking up for DS originally, you know, like, um, take for example, uh, Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. That was a great game, and I think it, it suited fairly well to the handheld. But I could have just as easily played that, you know, on a TV. You know, I've, I've played Symphony of the Night, you know, God knows how many times. And I could easily have played that on a TV. I don't feel like it used the fact that it was on a handheld in any other way. But if the developer said, look, I only have this much money, we're going to develop it for this system rather than make this huge HD Order of Ecclesia game, then I totally understand. But I guess I'm just looking for very different kinds of experiences on a handheld. I wouldn't want to play Dragon Age 2 on a handheld. I certainly wouldn't want to play Mass Effect on a handheld, you know? So, I'd want to play Mass Effect on a PSP. You'd want to play Mass Effect on a PSP? Really? You'd, you'd basically want it to look like Siphon Filter? No, like, th- th- thinking about that, Mass Effect is the kind of game that works well enough that, that I think it would work well on don't a PSP. Get, don't give EA any ideas. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put that down on parchment. Make sure that I'm gonna make sure they can't make that. So, Zach, where do you stand on this whole thing? You've been quiet. Um, I mean, I, I think that we've been we've been kind of dancing around what we've really been trying to talk about is is how awesome these you know like kind of quirky experiences can get. You know, like nine, we just talked about nine nine nine, which is you know like for pretty much one of one of my favorite games of the year so far you know like one of the the out, most outstanding experiences i've had over any console um and you know it's it's something that i i've you know i'm really kind of like excited that that they were you know like that it came over that it was localized and that it was you know like able i was able to play it um and and you you have stuff like that you have stuff like um, Nights in the Nightmare, which I was talking about last week, I haven't had a chance to play um, much more of that. And I was saying that I was really confused, but at the same time, I was also having this this weird sort of like visceral intellectual fun that I don't really get with a lot of games. You know, like having having to kind of play a bullet hell shooter and a strategy RPG at the same time um, is is a weird concept, and I'm really glad that someone has has brought that to you know like has someone has created that for my gaming enjoyment um and so like you know on on the one hand yeah sure i'm i'm not very likely to you know like sit down with uh, you know god of war or you know like some other big budget game that you know i i don't you know i just don't have time to play when i want to play you know like 15 other things on on my you know like xbox or ps3 or pc whatever um you know, at the same time, you get a lot of the, the the. It's the really the quality of these new experiences 
that I'm really excited to see what happens with the 3DS, you know, if only because that's just, it's just going to open up, you know, like maybe it'll open up a whole bunch of like new opportunities. Maybe it'll be like the DS was in its infancy and it'll take a long time for developers to really wrap their minds around what a 3D game, you know, like can be. As opposed to just like uh, Brain Age 3D. I'm yeah, just, I mean, like, we're, we're going to get a lot of that first. All I want is another chance to play Metal Gear Solid 3. That's all I want. See, hey, I'm, I'm not opposed. <laughs> I'm not opposed to that either. That's like the worst trap, I think, of the handhelds, is that so much of them now are just ports, especially for RPGs. It yeah. seems like every other thing that comes out for handhelds, and don't get me wrong, I'm really glad we get ports, but I would really like to see more, like, new IP stuff, like like Knights in the Nightmare, or like 999. Uh, as opposed to, like, what seems to be, like, an endless parade of ports of games that we already have, like Manichemia 2 or stuff like that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Persona game just made for a handheld. I actually do think that that series works a little bit in terms of a handheld market. I mean, I, I know that we've released uh, – that they've released Persona 3, and I think they're going to do Innocent Sin now uh, for PSP. But I wouldn't mind seeing that franchise put on a handheld. I know I said in an earlier podcast that I don't want it because that means I have to go out and buy it. But I, I wouldn't mind because I do think that that series can work on a handheld because you save very often. They're really, they're really, there can be long stretches of dialogue, but all they need to do is just slap in that nine. The brilliant thing about nine nine nine, which is you can save any time. That is like a freaking godsend. You know, you got somebody knocking on your door or something. You can just boom save right there. You never have any downtime, and I, See, I love that. And but they have experimented with not necessarily Persona, but Shin Megami Tensei games on the handhelds. You look at uh, at Strange Journey and at um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Devil Survivor. Devil Survivor. Devil Survivor seemed to be more tailor made for a handheld platform. But you know, the, it's proven that Atlas is looking at the handhelds for Shin Megami Tensei games. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would definitely be interested in playing more of them. I know I didn't have a great experience with Strange Journey, but you know, I would be interested in playing more stuff. So See, for me, I felt that that both Devil Devil Survivor and uh, and Strange Journey didn't even seem to be like I would have preferred to have played both those games on a console rather than a handheld. They, there was nothing handheld like centric about them for me. They have those you know in depth involved stories that you don't really. I mean, a lot of a lot of story issues that come up in handhelds are if you take a break from your handheld for like, you know, if you only play every 15 minutes, if you only play for a half an hour, I feel you can kind of lose something uh, for some of those story-specific games. I, I, I felt that way a little bit for Persona 3 Portable, too. I felt like I got a better experience out of it when I was playing the PS2 version. Well, I, I also think that console gaming lends itself to more of a marathon session. I know that I was trying as quickly as I could to burn through Dragon Quest IX, uh, and I just started to re- – like my eyes were getting crossed. I was very uncomfortable, you know, constantly having this shift in my seat. And then I remember back to playing, you know, hours and hours of Persona 3, Persona 4, and even Dragon Quest VIII. And it, I just think that console gaming lends itself to more of a marathon session, and that's just for me. So with with the uh, portables, it is kind of like you can take it in these bite-sized chunks, and I agree with Brian. That can kind of cut up your game a little bit, and that can cut up the experience at times. So. No, I hear you. Yeah. And I, you know, and then the the whole cutting up your story thing is true if you take a break from anything, you know. Oh and, yeah. 
Oh, try yeah. try jumping back into Red Dead Redemption after like not playing that game for a month. You're sitting there going, "What the hell's going on? Who, who, why am I in Mexico? Why are people dying?" I would have had a lot different experience the first time I played through Xenogears if I didn't play it in like giant five-hour chunks after school all day every day in high school. Oh, did, did I mention in last week's podcast that Brotherhood even emulates Xenogears more in story now? Just in the fact that, like, the last hour of Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is basically, uh, yeah, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then the game ends. Which sounds <laughs> suspiciously like the second disc of Xenogears. The, we ran out of money halfway through development of this game. So, and, uh, I don't know. Just, uh, just an interesting little factoid. So, I think we're done with the handheld discussion. So, Zach, why don't you round us out with news, my friend? So, uh, for, for news this week, we have uh, first on the list... Deus Ex Human Revolution gets you some some pre-order bonuses and a, a special edition, uh, the, the augmented edition. Hey, uh, a lot of forums were, were very crazy about this. In a good way or in a bad way? Like, in a happy? bad way. People are – like because the, the GameStop pre-order is an additional mission in the game that features a character from the first Deus Ex. Oh, boy. And so people were like, it's the internet. And uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're also upset. There's a, the GameStop pre-order also gives people a, a what was it, an unlocking tool. It's, it's a one-use throwaway, but people are still, you know, it was like internet on fire. How could you do this? Oh. I want to buy this from X, Y, or Z outlet. Oh, why do people care? Honestly, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the game. I am kind of tired of these special editions. Uh, I don't, I don't think it needs one. I mean, maybe just for the art design, but why not just incorporate that into the game? Like, have an artwork manual in the game. I, I'm, I remember when special editions used to mean something, and I still think Atlas does a really good job with their special editions. But, you know, why do you need a special edition for like Castlevania Lords of Shadow? Or, Every game needs a bust of the main character that comes along. Okay, with- that's true. That that's true. Okay, thank you, Witcher. So, <laughs> but so basically, yeah. So the uh, the special edition is going to have a forty page art book, a motion graphic novel, and a bonus disc. Um, a bonus featuring, disc of stuff that you uh, yeah, making of, of game trailers, Eat. animated storyboard. So I mean, it, on the one hand, it does kind of play to what you're saying. Rob, is that like this special disc, the special edition, like unless you're in love with the game, really has, you know, like very, very little appeal. Um, yeah, no, I, I've gotten burned like that. I bought the Civ 5 box special edition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't really care about behind the scenes stuff unless it impacts uh, or it shows us something that went on in actual development. I remember God of War 3 did this really cool thing in the uh, documentary about it where they didn't skirt the issue that Corey Barlog, the director of God of War 2, left midway through development of God of War 3 or, or early on in the development. They came right out and said, yeah, this was difficult. It was something that we had to overcome. That's the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that I like. I don't like it when they sit there and just kind of say, oh, yeah, our art assets are amazing, and these are the guys that we got to do the voices. So if it's a behind-the-scenes thing for a video game, I want it to mean something. I do like when they release like the voice actor stuff, like for Mass Effect, all the interviews with Seth Green that they released just on like Xbox Live. I thought those were great. I don't, I wouldn't want to pay for those, but 
Yeah. So I guess we're all in agreement. We don't really uh, – what do we think is going to happen with Human Revolution? Is it going to come out and disappoint or is it going to be good? I'm, I, I mean th- only time will tell. I feel like it, it looks pretty. It I looks want pretty. It. it does look pretty, but, you know. Uh-huh. I, I, I DOS Montreal. I have faith in them. I, what, what? what else have they made? Are they the original uh, development studio behind Deus Ex? No, they're here's they they've inherited like the old uh, uh, Ion Storm, so they're also working on Thief Four. Oh yeah, the present day Thief, or that's what it's rumored to be, present day Thief. Yeah, I, I I don't know much about it, but it is you know the, these are the guys who inherited the old Ion Storm stuff. Um, you know what? Here's the thing: Square or Square died us, whatever you want to call them now. Um, they actually do have a pretty decent setup, and they make quality games, and I don't think they would hand a, a property like Deus Ex, and they are pimping this game. Like, I get uh, it, I get press releases on a fairly regular basis, and a company like Square, they have an internal team, and they have a couple of external teams. I get, and, and usually it's split up, it's like, okay... I know I can expect to get MMO news from this source and non-RPG news from this source and, and all that sort of thing. I get Deus Ex news from all of them. Hmm. So you know that Square is really gung-ho about making sure that this is going to be a good game or at least it's going to be promoted well. well I, I guess I'm kind of a little bit more... I honestly don't know what to think of it. It it looks interesting. We still don't have a firm release date on it, though. Correct? I think it's March. Uh, March or February, but they, they have not put a firm release date on it. And then we get into the whole issue of do I want to buy it on PC? Do I want to buy it on console? And I'm, I'm really getting tired of that. You know, like, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I think it'll be interesting at least. So, Zach, continue with the news. Next up, we have a couple of Japanese release dates for you. Project uh, Dark? No. Aww. White Knight Chronicles on the PSP, which is Aww. episode portable Dogma Wars, is coming February 3rd. You remember when um, we were all excited about White Knight Chronicles? Oh, the days. <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember that? Like, what, the first video for that game, we were like, oh my god, it's amazing, and then it came out. And it's yeah. like, wow, I could play this, and when it was called Final Fantasy XII. Yeah. Ouch. Um, Zing. But yeah, so, so that's coming out February in Japan. Uh, Persona 2 Innocent Sin PSP right. is coming out in March in Japan. Um, and so it's, uh, they're actually doing uh, something interesting with it. They're, they're going over, they're adding a lot of new music. Uh, the old music will be in the game as well for those of you who care. Uh, there's going to be a lot of new, like, uh, in, you know, cut in battle animations, um, new icons, mini map. Uh, a more streamlined battle interface, um, and uh, one of the the big things, and I think Rob, you might like this, is that they're adding three difficulty modes uh, that you can switch between. What are on you the, implying, on, Zach? On the fly. Hey, I don't know. What are know. you it's, implying? It's, I'm just saying it's a Shin Megami Tensei game. You know, it's, uh, I'm just saying I played through Demon Souls and didn't find it hard. So all yeah. you haters out there that are like, "Oh, Stamen doesn't know how to play video games," I didn't find Demon Souls hard. But yeah, so so they're they're adding in. They have these three different difficulty settings, um, but also they're throwing in. They they've rebalanced the the game. So um, if you you know if you're not a fan of of the 
instant kill, you know, like death attacks and the the terrible, you know, like the the really powerful status effects and stuff. Um, that you know, like you have an option to kind of tweak that to your to your liking. So, um, yeah, so that's coming out March third in Japan, and hopefully in the near future we'll have um, you know, an an, an announcement for an American release. Um, then we have uh, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. Uh, if if you're interested in that in that game, there is a playable demo. Oh, um, yeah, a, a flash demo on on the internet. Uh, if you check out uh, the the Capcom Unity blog, you can find the the link from our news story on the site. There's you just check out check that link out, and it plays kind of like uh, the you know there was a. Um, a playable demo for nine 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 as well. Now that I think about oh, it, cool. so it's it's kind of you know it works well with with the uh, fl- you know like the touch the point and click adventure gamey sort of nature. So check that out if you're interested. Um, and then finally, the the really big news um, is the partnership between Imagepoc and uh, Nice America. So uh, John, do you, do you know about this do you know a lot about this? Because I'm kind of not super sure. Uh, I know that image uh, is is it image epoch yeah, image, so epoch? Im, Im, image epoch or what, how whatever you want to call them. Um, they announced I don't remember if it was six or if it was eight kind of new JRPGs as their the JRPG revolution or I I don't remember how they termed it, but image epoch was like you know what the JRPG is uh, it's it's where is it gone? Everything's gone to the Western. And we are going to make all of these brand new JRPGs, and they're going to be great. And then there was an interview with a Japanese outlet. I forget which one. And they said, oh, yeah, we're going to be working with NIS America. And this was before anything was announced. But uh, NIS is going to be tasking on bringing over all of these JRPGs over the next three years. Hmm. Interesting. Very so, 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 do we see this as as a full revival of of the JRPG genre? Oh, probably. Well, but they look fun. Yeah, I mean, I this and is no one's going to buy them. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think it is. I here's the thing: they're they're DS and PSP title. Well, I there are some of them are DS and PSP. Some of them are. I know uh, Chevalier Ta- Saga Tactics was supposed to be a PS3 download and a PC game. I mean, I, I think they're, that they're doing some some other things other than just the handhelds. I think they'll sell decently in Japan, and and they'll probably sell out of their print run in America. But I think Americans, we've we've really like the, the American shift in RPG toward the Western RPG is kind of huge. And, and I'm not saying that as it's a good thing. I'm saying no, no, no. that the shift has yeah, happened. I, I think there is a significant difference between a blockbuster title and what these are supposed to be. Okay, I don't think fair. any. I don't think anyone's expecting this to be Fallout New Vegas, you know, selling two million copies in a week or whatever it was. People sure do like expansion packs. <laughs> Just saying, but, people really seem to like them. But you you take a company like NIS America or Axis or or any of these localization companies, and they're working on you know teams of ten on localizing any given title. And you don't need to have a title sell 2 million copies when, you know, you 
you know, for nine nine nine, probably they're they're aiming to sell less than a hundred thousand copies if if my estimates are correct. Yep, they got and, my money. So And I, I hope that they sell much more than that, you know. It's always nice like Disgaea, the original Disgaea I think sold two hundred or three hundred thousand copies and they considered that to be an absolute runaway success because it was significantly more than what they were expecting. I love to walk into an EB and see all the used copies of Demon Souls. So people bought it, and then it kicked their ass, and then they couldn't play it anymore. Well, I actually worked at retail when Demon Souls came out, and I was surprised at how many non-gamers, or not non-gamers, but non-RPG players would come in and buy Demon Souls. Yeah, but I, I do think that game unfortunately had a high return rate. Uh, at least the EBs that I've been into or GameStops, whatever you want to call them, I've always seen a lot of Demon Souls, and you can get it for like 15 bucks now used. I mean, it's it's out there, people. Go go buy it, Project Dark. Tell me more about Project Dark. Please, 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 please. But yeah, so um, <laughs> I guess, I mean, that's that's all there there really is for, for the news. Um if, if anyone's interested, we have uh, links to uh, various trailers and, and game announcements from, from the Image Epoch uh, Nice America partnership on, on the site. Um, they're also available around the Internet if, uh, if you can't find the news story. Um, but I guess, I guess that about wraps it up. Do we have anybody that's covering the, the big event next week? I want to see if anybody knows what I'm even talking about. Which oh uh, to the, the VGAs? No, like the what's going to end up being the biggest release of the year? Um, December seventh. Oh, yeah, Cataclysm. One. Do we have anybody no, the, at the site that's interested? I um, would be, but I, I kind of my my account is is no longer active. Um, I never I played ten minutes of World of Warcraft and realized that it was literally liquid crack, and I avoided it. I don't know. We can try and convince Salvador to cover it. I know he plays. I, I, I just think it would be interesting. It, it is kind of the biggest RPG, MMO, whatever you want to call it. It is the big one. So yeah, just just inter- and, and just hearing all the things that they've talked about. I, me as a non World of Warcraft player, I am interested, but I I literally could not devote my life to that game. I I can't. I can't play it. I know what will happen. I can't play it. Blizzard's already got you know their um, their date of death for me, which is whenever Diablo three comes out. So, I mean, I guess one thing I don't know if we talked about this last week, but but the uh, the big World of Warcraft patch uh, went live recently. Yeah, the that... the one that kind of changed the the entire world of Azeroth. Um, I remember when and... Deathwing was this tiny little like MPEG. I remember that, you know, World World uh, Warcraft two and seeing Deathwing and like having him destroy towns and stuff, and now it's like he's coming back. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, so I mean, I guess I, these days it's only five bucks for oh my God. a a standard like a a base <laughs> level World of Warcraft account, but that gets you all of all of like the new like, uh, five bucks like, a month. No, 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 five bucks for uh, an account, and then yeah, and then you get your first month. First hit is free. So, um, and then it's 15 bucks a month after that, or, you know, however you decide to do your, um, pricing, uh, depending on, you know, how much you pay and stuff. But, um, yeah, you get access. I mean, you, you're still stuck with only the, you know, like the first four, you know, or eight races rather and whatever classes, but, um, you get access to all of the, the new, like main Azeroth content. 
all all of the retailers right now are selling it where you can buy like it's you can buy the first two expansions and the original game for like twenty dollars. Yeah. It's it's getting I mean like as much as it is, you know, a liquid crack, it is becoming a a very good deal. I, I'm almost tempted to, to reactivate it. What I think account. may happen eventually is is one or two expansions down the road is they're going to have to adopt the EverQuest model where a new boxed version of the game is going to include all of the previous expansions. Mm. Yeah. Probably. Probably. I just, you know, I can't believe how big World of Warcraft has gotten. I remember seeing the first trailers for World of Warcraft. What was it with with um, Warcraft 3? And I just remember being like, wow, this probably won't be that great. You know, no one's really going to play it. People aren't really into MMOs. Everybody loves EverQuest. I've never been so wrong in my life. It is, God. He admits it. No, I, I was wrong. Com- he was wrong once. I was completely wrong about Warcraft, World of Warcraft. I honestly didn't think people would be that into it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see the appeal of releasing another MMO when EverQuest was such a juggernaut back then. And just wow. <laughs> and I think that's a testament to Blizzard's quality. I mean, they do great work. They do great work. Just release Diablo three now. Do it now. Do it now. Do it live. All right, yeah, so, so that officially wraps it up for news. Rob, do you want to take this one home? Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, keep an eye out on the boards. I know Brian posted some questions that we didn't answer this week, but uh, you know, if, if you guys post questions, we can put that into our topic segment. If somebody gets a really good uh, question rolling, then we can, we can talk about it for a little bit. Uh, be sure to go on iTunes, uh, download our podcast from there, subscribe through iTunes, subscribe through the RSS feed on the show. want to make sure that you guys are listening and enjoying uh, so for John, Brian, and Zach, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Objection!